Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. I am Bree, and today I am joined by author Amanda Cinelli. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Tell me how 2023 has started off for you. Um, it started off with me on deadline, as usual, <laughs> which is kind of normal for me. I live on deadline. Um, and then every time I'm on deadline, my kids get sick, which is just... <laughs> How in this house it's like a rule it's like we, a rule we all abide by we all live in the madness um and then celebrating uh my 10th book with harlequin which was a lovely milestone to hit congratulations <laughs> thank you yeah i think 10 books is a really wonderful milestone to have to have hit you know because it's like you could one still like your first books is still like you can remember that time and it's like I did that thing 10 books ago and like here I just I don't know I feel like 10 is like this hurdle of like okay I made it I made it here I can keep going like does it feel like that for you yeah it didn't beforehand and then kind of once the week came and I prepared to kind of like share my my graphic I suppose to be like hey everybody you know this is my 10th book I kind of sat with it and I was like wow you know I I don't know. It's like a mixed feeling where I thought I would have hit it a lot sooner than I did, but I also thought I was going to give up at some point <laughs> during the middle point of there, like around book four or five. I kind yeah, of was like, exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I won't be able to do this. And then I did, and I kept writing book after book. And so, yeah, it does feel like like it's kind of like the first big milestone that I've hit. You know, apart from like my debut. And um, like, at what book do you feel like? you looking back on it you're like okay I have really found my rhythm and I'm comfortable in this rhythm like what book was it for you um I think when I wrote the second book in the Avalar twins duet which was returning to claim his heir that was an amnesia book and it was a very personal book and I definitely felt like I I leveled up (laughs) on that book and then that's when I decided to write this trilogy that's when I kind of was like, can I write a trilogy? Can I write a trilogy that's linked together? Yeah, let's just do it, you know? <laughs> I kind of was like, okay, let's just see how it goes. Yeah, like I'm in the groove now. Yeah, pretty much. Well, I see? think we must have talked the last, like the, the last time that we talked, it had to have been around the new year as well, because I feel like we talked about your word of the year. So what is your word of the year this year? Um, This year, it's belief. Okay, Um, And I've been struggling with my journaling so far this year. My journal has felt just really blank. Like I'm not very present with it, um, which is weird for me um, because I'm usually very, I I write in it every day. I keep track of stuff. And, but this year I'm focusing on a very kind of internal locus of, I don't know, control and ambition where I'm like, I want to believe in what I'm writing. Mm -hmm. I want to believe in myself. Um, I want to believe in my ability to hit my deadlines and, you know, maybe try for st- for some new things. There's a few new kind of projects that I possibly have my eye on and it's very much fear that's holding me back. So instead of fear in 2023, I'm going to be aiming for belief. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I get, I totally get the journaling thing. Like I, um, oh gosh, like I really got back into it, I'd say summer of 2022. And I just, I I remember like May 1st being like, okay, you're going to write every day. Like I gave myself this challenge because I, I kept diaries all 
throughout my childhood. And then it was like, as soon as I became a mom, like it became harder to journal. And then before I knew it, like I was going years without doing it. But like, I, I follow this YouTuber and her channel's all about journaling. And she hit this point where her mom was like, you're living too much in the journal. Like you need to like kind of set it aside and actually live life. And I'm like, I think sometimes we need to hear that advice too. Like it's okay to set it down and not do the thing so much. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I can get very stuck in my goals and mm-hmm. sometimes like we, me and my husband were only talking about this the other day. It's like my toxic trait is setting goals that I know I'm not going to hit. And when I set the goal, like I set the little box to be ticked in the journal and then I don't tick the box. And it's almost like this. I don't know what it is. It's like this um, self-sabotage kind of thing. Yeah. Where I'm like, you're yes. going to write 5,000 words today and here's five little bubbles that you're going to tick off. And like, I know I don't write 5,000 words a day. That's not my my speed. Um, but I still do it to myself. Yeah. You still wrote the box. <laughs> and then I kind of go to myself, look, you didn't hit that goal, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what's that about <laughs> you know um so yeah I'm trying to be a little bit more present and I'm trying to work on like I don't know writing in the moment living in the moment it's like you yeah. know right today is my speed um and I suppose trying to balance that out with setting those goals and hitting the the delivery dates on books and stuff like that so it's like I don't know there has to be a sweet spot there somewhere doesn't there yeah yes <laughs> I'll tell you if I find it. (laughs) I think it can be difficult, especially in today's world where like you have so, so much advice coming from all over the place and people are like screaming, you should journal, journal for mental health, journal for wellness. And it's like, um, aware of like everyone else's process. We're so aware of what everyone is doing because we're all so, you know, everyone is online in some capacity where most people are, especially like, you know, most authors, we we have to be online to promote ourselves. And it's very hard to not look at other people's kind of process and other people's day to day routine and kind of compare it to your own and be like, I don't write that much every day. Um, I don't, you know, have all of these cool offices that people seem to have. (laughs) My smoothie doesn't look that green. (laughs) going on their fancy writers retreats to all over the world I'm like hey (laughs) so yeah I think it's like bringing it back to yourself bringing it back to myself for me this year is very important and kind of being present in the moment and believing in myself kind of where I am rather than always reaching for those big lofty goals that I set for myself you know so like celebrating this milestone was important to me because I'm sitting with something that has already happened. You know, I can't take it away from myself because I've done it. Um, you did it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of a, a moment that I wasn't expecting to hit that hard. Um, and it was really nice. It was really, really nice. Are you sad to see the series go? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. It's really hard, especially this last book. Um, Like this last book was the hardest because it was that was it. You know? That was it. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't just invent more <laughs> brothers. <laughs> is there like, is there like a diff? I'm assuming for each book, 
each book comes with its own pressure. Like the first book is the fir- the first book. So like there, I can only imagine the freaking out that goes with that. And then there's, I'm assuming like that second book has its own kind of pressure. Cause like it's the second. And then there's the third, like, yeah, tell, okay. Like we're talking people about pregnant in the Italians Palazzo, which is fantastic. Like talk about the pressure for that third book. Yeah, the big finale. Like I'd hinted at this hero from the start. You know, the first two brothers, they know each other already. They're half brothers. They had a very brief relationship and then they were, they got into a big fight and they were estranged. Um, And then this book is set around the inheritance where their father has died and he set uh, an inheritance kind of stipulation in the will where the first one of his heirs to marry and stay married for one year can inherit his entire estate. Um, but they don't they didn't realize there is a third brother um, and he was a big secret. And the reason he's a secret is because he's from a very wealthy, very kind of blue blooded Italian fan, uh, family. And he didn't even know that he was this guy's son. You know, he didn't know that his father was not his father. Um, so hinting at him and hinting at the fact that he's a reclusive, very wealthy very powerful man um, I really felt the pressure to bring it with him you know because you see nothing of him for those first two books he's only hinted at um, and then Arya was in the very first book um, she's the bridesmaid so in the very first book um, the bride is getting ready and her best friend comes in with her wedding dress and her, is like you know yay it's your wedding day <laughs> <laughs> Arya and then so like she the bride says, you know, you go on ahead to the wedding and I'll be there in a minute. And poor Aria, she goes to the wedding and she walks out of the courthouse and everyone is gone. Everyone's gone. <laughs> the whole wedding has just gone to pot and it's just <laughs> chaos and there's security running everywhere. And she's flipping out because she's a very feisty woman. And she's like, what's happening? Where's my friend? Um, so that's where we meet her. <laughs> So what was one of your like personal favorite scenes from the book? Because I I love that beginning scene. It felt like kind of like like an old Hollywood movie. Like I imagined it in black and white. It's raining and she's standing there and then she looks over and there's this gorgeous man standing there. And it's like, oh, you need to go to London. I have a private jet. Like (laughs) what was your favorite? That's pretty normal for people, isn't it? You know, it's like, (laughs) oh, no, I don't have a ride home to London. And the guy just turns up like, hey, I've got a jet. This uh, was true presents hero moment. Oh, yeah. I really wanted to. Like, my whole vibe with this book was that he is like a very old school presents hero. He was. Yes. Okay. I love to hear you say that. Yes. <laughs> I wanted her to be like a non, like like an anti-presents heroine or like a very self-aware presents heroine. Um, because every time I tried to put her in a situation that was very classically presents, she would kind of be like, are you seriously doing this right now? Like yes. that's the dialogue that would come out when I was writing her. And I ended up changing the entire first act of this book as a result of her not cooperating <laughs> with my plot, <laughs> basically. Um, but yeah, so the, the scene, my personal, my favorite scene from this book, um, so after their first love scene, they have they, they get on the jet and they hit it off and they're very the chemistry is great and they they have their first love scene and um, but my favorite moment was right afterwards where like it's almost like they've been in this fever dream together and yes it's very primal it's very visceral and then it's over and the two of them are just like alone together 
and they like they are still strangers they've just met um and it, it's very kind of sobering um and then Nisio is so overwhelmed by his own reaction he feels this very visceral pull towards her and you know making love hasn't taken that away it's only made it worse yes (laughs) he's like he's freaking out a bit at how much he's feeling and he's not used to feeling things this much you know because he's so stoic and reclusive um and then of course like aria is looking at this man kind of brooding and looking very distant and she's like oh god you know he must be regretting everything yes she thinks he's regretting it yes like she's quite confident in herself so she's just like okay i'm gonna get dressed you know yeah yeah (laughs) That's over there. And he's like, no, 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 no. He very quickly is like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, yes. Very clear. Let me make this very clear to you. I do not regret anything. Um, and he makes it very clear that he's like, you know, if you want to you know, have fun all the way to London, we can. Um, but I love there's a moment where he um, he notices her bra <laughs> and the details on her bra. And she says, you know, oh, you know, I, I made it myself. And he's like, what, well, you're a fashion designer? And I just love this moment. Like, they're they're semi-naked in an airplane bathroom and they've just, you know, made love. And he's, like, so awed by her passion for her work and her, her craftsmanship on this bra that she's made. Like, because she's a lingerie designer and she made it as a part of her college course. And it's just everything I wanted to convey with them as, like, this opposites attract coupling um, it's that moment where like you can see how good they could be together if they got their shit together basically and um, I wanted to show like that they do fit because I knew what I was about to put them through <laughs> that moment on the plane like the moment after felt yeah. like true presents hero like he they're literally on his private jet so there's the money there's the wealth there but she is driving him mad like he is instantly crazy about her and she's just like whatevs <laughs> you know <laughs> I was like oh gosh this is like classic presents moment she's so in control <laughs> yes yes <laughs> it's driving him mad he's crazy about her I, I just loved it I loved that both of them are neurodivergent so what did you enjoy about writing two neurodivergent characters finding love? Um, I didn't like, I didn't set out to make all of these, like so many characters in this series be neurodivergent. It just kind of happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's because like, there's always a lot of me in my characters. And I think that's a normal thing for writers to draw upon their own experiences. Um, And of course, like I I wrote uh, Priya, the heroine in the first book, she had anxiety. And then Pandora in the second book, was autistic and um, but with Aria and Nisio, I think I dug even deeper into some of like my own very personal feelings um and they felt very close to a lot of my own experiences like some of Aria's childhood her creativity her struggle to focus um, and then Nisio's social anxiety his panic attacks and his tendency to self-isolate just to hold his world together you know he's a complete control freak like I am um <laughs> And uh, someone actually asked me if Nisio is coded autistic. And it's something I wrestled with while drafting uh, because I think I was about, I think I was about halfway through writing this book when I was talking to my husband about a plotting issue that I had. And he just kind of assumed that Nisio was autistic. (laughs) And And I was like, oh, wait, is he? And then the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> wow, yeah. But because he didn't know, and because I hadn't planned it, um, I just decided 
Um, like I was going to write another epilogue. I thought about writing another epilogue where he discovers or he has that discovery. But category is like 50,000 words. You know, it's quite tight. And this book is about their love story, showing how they're two people who really understand one another. And I just wanted to keep the focus on that. Um, so I was quite happy to leave him as autistically coded, I think is how I would phrase it. Um, and I think it's just like, so many other people have blamed them for their differences and tried to change them in their life. And that's the one thing they do not do with one another. Um, and I just love that. Like they have other issues to overcome, trust and a baby on the way and <laughs> where are they going to live and stuff like that. But they never struggle with that connection between them, that understanding. And I really enjoyed writing that because that's kind of how my relationship is, my marriage. Um, and it's this just kind of ease of communication when two yeah. people are divergent and they I don't know it's like an acceptance and you, you you might not have the exact same way of seeing things or doing things but you understand that you're you're both different in that way and you both see things differently and perceive the world differently so yeah I think that's just the thing <laughs> like most of my friends who are neurodivergent it's the same thing it's I don't know you just feel things differently you see things differently and the communication tends to be quite deep and quite yeah. <laughs> I like that his was kind of open ended in a way. Like you, you could you could tell there was something, but the love, the the romance, and everything they had going on was still the focus. Yeah, like Aria could tell. Like when I when I read a few parts of the book back, there's lines where she like I'm, I'm saying this as if I didn't write it, but. <laughs> <laughs> It's so weird when you write a book and you don't remember writing it. But um, like she would say things like uh, she had to like explain things a certain way because he didn't understand them the first time and um, just things like that, you know, small details. Um, so it is there, um, but it's not something, it's just something I decided not to make as, I don't know, closed as clearly labeled as it was in the second book because I think there's so many people out there who are undiagnosed and who yes. just and I, I kind of like the idea that he was he felt so accepted and he you know he had he carved his own path in the world to such an extent that he you know he wasn't too held back in life you know and he's a billionaire which helps you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that helps that's gotta help you know that's privilege right there so I have to talk scenes. Was it the mile high hotness scene or rainy Manhattan scene? Which one came to you first or was it neither? Was it something else? Well, the Manhattan scene came first uh, okay. because I know that's where they were at this mm -hmm. disaster wedding. Um, the first draft, like I said to you, the first draft was actually very different. Um, <laughs> I honestly didn't know how to even like so the very first draft of this book there was some intrigue uh, with Nisio trying to hide his big secret and it was almost I think I was reading a lot of dark romance at the time okay <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so there was almost like a mafia style feud, okay, in the first draft of this book. Okay, because the last time we talked, you it, like I was thinking this book was going to be a little dark because the, the the last time we talked, <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, like in in the original draft, Aria followed Nisio's car to this very kind of bacchanalian house party because Nisio's based on Dionysus. It's a Dionysus and Ariadne inspired kind of theme going through this book and Dionysus is like the 
the god of chaos and parties and wine. So <laughs> she follows him to this house party and then they have to escape from it because things went south. And he quite literally took her prisoner in his palazzo to keep the secret from the press. So like prisoner in the Italian's palazzo was the original. Oh trap. my gosh. <laughs> Basically, it's the vibe I was going for. But my editor at the time, um, Charlotte Ellis, she worked with me on the three Greeks Race to the Altar books. And we just had a chat and we just decided because of the way their story went, it was too much. And their char- as their characters came to me, um, I had to make that decision, like I said, to focus on their love story. Um, because they had enough, go- like they had so much going on already. Yeah. And I think I was trying to force more plots where it wasn't needed because they already had so much conflict they already had so much emotional kind of internal conflict going on um it was just it was far too much um and it didn't work especially because aria would not cooperate right <laughs> this woman oh my god like <laughs> basically the conversation i have with my editor was my editor was like would she actually allow herself to be taken prisoner exactly in- no <laughs> Not a chance. Not a chance would she allow it. So yeah, that had to be scrapped. <laughs> and I had to have him offer to take her to London. <laughs> she need she she demanded a lot more agency than I was prepared to initially give. So it was kind of a, you know, wrestling with my own character situation. Yeah. I love um, that Arya basically like very- told you what to do. <laughs> She's ferocious. Um I put too much of myself in her, I think. Far too much. <laughs> We'll talk about writing surprise pregnancy because, I mean, it's such a vehicle for so much of what happens in this book. So, like, what inspired the surprise pregnancy trope for the book? And, and yeah, talk about writing it. Yeah, um, like, I love – this was actually my first surprise pregnancy book where the conception happened on page. Um, but I, it's always been one of my favorite tropes to read, especially in Presents. Um, and from the start, I knew this was going to be a pregnancy book. Um, I knew that she was going to fall pregnant. It was kind of one of the only details I knew, really, <laughs> other than that it was going to begin at that wedding. Um, but I love, I, I adore the emotion of the surprise pregnancy trope. The physical, like, OMG, she's nauseous. She's feeling tired, is she? Isn't she? Yes. Um, <laughs> the drama of, like, two people having their world exploded with this news. Um, and then I have this hero who has a family secret and he's decided right at the start of this book that he's not going to bring a child into this lie that he's yes. been living. Yeah. It's really important to him um, because he's lived under so much stress kind of as the only heir to this really, really old blue-blooded Italian family. Um, he's determined to be an eternal bachelor and I wanted to throw this at him because I'm evil. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, yes. This is what he's getting. Um, but like as far as writing it, for me, um, I I really wanted to show that Nicio was already falling for Aria before the pregnancy. That was really important to me that he wasn't just like, oh, you're pregnant. I love you now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I really wanted to show that the connection was always there. Um, and the it was really important to me to show that Aria acknowledged that like she has a choice to show her choosing to continue with the pregnancy because she actually wants to become a mother and that her conflict wasn't in feeling trapped in the pregnancy but it was about her fear of allowing herself to ever hope for a family of her own in that kind of traditional sense because of her own fears about marriage and love and trusting someone to kind of 
keep her and not abandon her. Um, so the pregnancy in this story is like the catalyst in their journey from being two messy, anxious people in a very exciting but physical fling to getting them, getting it together and choosing to actually become a family. So that's kind of what I loved about writing it. Oh, I, I, I loved the scene where she walks in and she's like, he's reading what's to ex- like what to expect when expecting <laughs> oh I was like oh he is like totally all in this and she's like he's you know, she acknowledges the pregnancy and she's yeah. happy about it but hers it's is she's like oh god this is not happening I'm just going to walk around really fast around this palace and just see what's around yeah yeah <laughs> he's, like, he's making sure he has all the details because he's a complete nerd you know and he has to be completely competent in all areas of life so presents hero you know yes. presents anything by halves he's going to be the best daddy that ever was he's going to be the best <laughs> i think he even tells her like at one point he's like well if you're this far, far along this is you know you can just tell like he's been reading the books and he's like rattling off information and i'm like oh my god that is the sweetest thing oh, ever because he craves the facts you know yeah. he he needs to know exactly what's going on at all times and she just wants to vibe through life she just wants an adventure she doesn't want to be tied down and he's just like no this is not how, this is not what we're doing <laughs> <laughs> opposites attract <laughs> well i love that the epilogue is the same as in the it's like set at the same time and place as the previous two books was that easy or tricky how did you feel doing that Oh, I think, I don't know. Like, it was an idea I had at the very start because I knew they all were going to begin in the same place. I was like, oh, do you know what would be really fun? Let's end it in the exact same place too. <laughs> I think it was like when I was writing the second book, my poor husband, he has to listen to all of my breakdowns. And I was like, why did I decide to do this? <laughs> why did I pen myself into this, you know, very tight timeline when I'm terrible with time and I'm terrible with numbers? Um, so I don't know. In my head, they're real. So for when I'm writing, it's like watching a movie. And I'm just kind of cutting to a different camera. <laughs> so, yeah. But I still had to reread to make sure I wasn't messing up the details. Um, I tried to show them interacting as a family group and then also as a couple to get that balance um, in each epilogue. And I'm, I'm really happy with how it turned out in the end. Um, I think overall, like it was a very ambitious project for me to write a trilogy. I'd never written a trilogy before. And then to link them so closely was was extra challenging. So <laughs> I think I'm really happy with how it turned out <laughs> yeah. in the end. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, I, I, I love when you have those books that they can definitely stand on their own. But I don't know. I, I think there's just something special, too, about having a trilogy or a series where it's like, yeah, you should definitely read these back to back, like read them in order because there is that connection there. I feel like we don't see a lot of that anymore. And it's, it's just something oh, special love, to see. Yeah, I love to read stuff like I, I, I'm a series reader. So I think it's only natural I'm going to be a more of a series writer. Um, and I love I love like little Easter eggs and I love seeing older characters repeated and you just get a tiny glimpse of where they are and the, the world is kind of kept going. You know, it's like that soap opera kind of feeling where yeah. you're moving to different couples and different family units and well, everyone else is still there living their lives. And I just think it really, it's very immersive. I love series because it's so immersive and you can really just, like, I think all romance series readers, like we, you read like 20 books in a month. <laughs> you forget what 
it looks like. And it's just the best. It really is just the best. So that's what I'm trying to recreate. <laughs> well, talking about romance readers, we <laughs> may have heard that you love and enjoy monster romances. Um, tell me all the things like what when did you pick up your first monster romance? What inspired this reading venture for you? And do you have any favorites you'd like to share? I I never read monster. I never thought I read monster romance. But like, I think if you're a paranormal reader, you've read monster romance because there's an overlap there. Like, like I started reading um, the Immortals After Dark series in I think 2018, 2019. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of books in that that would definitely be classed as monster romance because there's like there's like a feral demon who is like half demon, half vampire, and he doesn't speak any other language. He lives in a cave and like he's and she has to the heroine has to teach him how to speak and you know, wash himself and everything. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that you said that because I've had that question like, is there a difference between paranormal and monster? romance i think i don't know like i'm not i'm not a scholar of the subject i don't think but i have my opinions as a reader and i think like monster like obviously paranormal is like you know paranormal is like alongside normal life um, mm-hmm. that's kind of the definition between fantasy romance and paranormal isn't it where like fantasy is complete fantasy it's not there's no reality whereas paranormal is like fantasy alongside a normal life timeline kind of thing I think someone's probably going to get annoyed at me for that definition but I'm I agree with, I agree I'm going with it so like for me monster romance can be in paranormal and it can be in fantasy um and I think like the whole monster thing is that it's not I don't know it's just completely inhuman there's no it's completely a non-human character and they're kind of scary and they're kind of very different and that's the kind of draw because they're so completely different like like I've read I think one of the first ones that I read was um Morning Glory Milk and Farm which is a minute <laughs> okay I remember <laughs> that one circulating around <laughs> Scrofta is the the author. She she's I think it's a she. I think she's a she. Um, she's written loads of um monster romance, like a, a real a real queen of the genre. Um, <laughs> so like the first one I read was the the Morning Glory Milking Farm, but like they they're quite like that would be quite a sweet romance almost because like it's like a very cozy small town monster romance mm. so you've got that kind of vibe and then she's got like a, a mothman in that same universe as well so like you've got a minotaur you've got a moth there's like <laughs> oh my gosh everything goes in that universe there's all these different creatures um, and they all have very different kind of cultures and anatomy and it's very interesting shall we say a very interesting experience <laughs> The first one that I read was The Dragon's Bride by Katie Robert. And I was like, oh, this is really good. (laughs) I get it now. I get it. The Dragon's Bride. Like, I love the way Katie Robert set up that series because she's got human women entering into deals with a demon who then brings them in to like monster buffet of like which one <laughs> which yeah. one and they all just get auctioned off to their own monster like it's fabulous it's a fabulous series premise um and then I love the way like she she writes that kind of consent piece where like even though these women have been auctioned off to literal monsters they have like complete consent they have complete autonomy it's just fantastic yeah. like that's the fantasy 
the fantasy is like you're in this absolutely terrifying scary realm or you're just or you're in your own world with this absolutely terrifying scary very different creature and everything's gonna be okay you know like that's like romance on steroids really <laughs> It really is. It's like, we always promise the HEA, but like, how can you get a HEA with like a literal demon? Like one of the books I read this year, last year, it's like a a literal sleep paralysis demon. Oh (laughs) my gosh. Bring me to sleep by RM Virtues. And like the heroine is going through the roughest time of her life. She's got PTSD. She's having to take you know, medication to sleep after a very traumatic event. And she falls in love with her sleep paralysis demon. (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, perfection. I mean, what else? (laughs) How can you get that to a HEA? You know, it's fantastic. And the craft involved and just the, it's like, it's entertainment. It's cathartic. It's scary. It's just fantastic. I absolutely love it. And then you can't talk about monster romance without talking about the orcs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I, I think that's what the, the writing retreat ladies were talking about because there was a group chat there was a group chat situation with Pippa Roscoe and Amy Andrews <laughs> and I think Heidi Rice was in the group chat at the time because we were planning this writing retreat and I ended up not being able to go but I suggested that they read or, or I think I had previously suggested to Pippa that she should read A Lady and the Orc sorry The Lady and the Orc by Finley Fenn um, because I'd, I'd read it and I was absolutely shocked. <laughs> and I am a menace. So I, of course, suggested it to Pippa to read. And she texted me back like, what did you just tell me to read? This is absolutely crazy. And then, of course, we suggested it to the group chat to spread the love. Um, As you do. <laughs> I just love, I love the entertainment of it. I love that you can like... Because I just love talking about romance novels with people because it's my life. (laughs) I'm obsessed. So yeah, I get very giddy and they're just so silly, but they're also like really great human stories. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I just love this moment that we're like living in in romance right now. It's 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 fantastic. It's like the pandemic just like created this space for just anything goes. Like already anything could go but I think people were more willing to just go a bit nuts of like do you know what I'm just gonna write this sleep paralysis demon I'm just yeah. gonna write <laughs> I'm gonna write an orc you know living his best life in a mountain um <laughs> I'm gonna write a dragon <laughs> so are you still in your dark romance era or or no no um I actually got really into hockey romance at the end of 2022 okay it's wild <laughs> <laughs> it's like the whole of December I think um hockey romance and I'm not usually because like a lot of the hockey romance is kind of new adult like I do like kind of a little bit older I like to read about people more my age you know not like not too young and free to make me feel jealous you know <laughs> so I I was surprised that I loved them as much as I did I was reading um Odette Stone okay or what I read basically Odette Stone's entire back catalog. Oh, I love when you find an author and you're just like, I'm going to read everything. They were so bingeable. Like, I just love being able to read one after another after another. Um, And then I forget who else I was reading. Oh, Kate C. Wells Mm -hmm. is another author. I've read her entire back catalog. My God, fantastic. She writes, she has somehow managed to write dark romance, small town romance, mafia romance, Uh, MC like motorcycle club romance and paranormal in the same universe and I oh wow 
I don't know how she did it. I I think I'm like bordering on stalker level with this author where I'm like, <laughs> I need to know how you got here. Yeah. And I need to know what your process is because I'm fascinated by you. Oh, I love that. She writes these rejected mates, um, rejected faded mates, because I love faded mates trope. Um, and they were they were brilliant. And I've read all of her books now at this stage. <laughs> I've harassed many people into reading her back catalog as well, just so I can talk to them about it. <laughs> yes, like, please yeah. read this book because I need somebody to talk about it with. That's the best. <laughs> she writes neurodivergent characters as well. That's one thing um, CM Nascosta writes a lot of neurodivergent characters in the monster romances. Like her Mothman is basically coded autistic and I found that absolutely fascinating to read and and there's a real comfort in reading those books because it's kind of like the characters are all so different and the neurodiversity in the community is just so accepted and because it's like monsters living alongside humans and the the world that she's built is so kind of mixed and different and I just I I really felt like comfort there and there's a couple more books that I haven't read that she's written so I need to get on that (laughs) I need to get get on my TBR from resisting the Sicilian playboy to pregnant in the Italian's palazzo do you feel like your writing has evolved any and and if so how um yeah like I think writing is like every craft isn't it you know like you level up um and like we're constantly growing as people and naturally that growth is going to have an effect on your creative work I think um and I, I definitely think my craft gets better with every book or it has been getting better I hope <laughs> um uh, but I think mainly I feel a lot braver um and more confident in my ability to kind of try new plots new angles um like you know I, like before I wrote the trilogy I never would have thought I was able to write three books that were connected in that kind of way um, but I wrote the duology first and then I moved on to the trilogy and you know it's like I think you have to try it and, and do it to move past it yeah um, but I think I've always leaned on very action heavy plots in the past like that's my comfort zone <laughs> I like a lot of action I like moving people around I like having different settings to plop them into um, but the book I'm working on at the moment they're pretty much trapped together in a mountaintop chalet in the snow for most of the book so I feel like I've definitely I'm doing something again where I'm like challenging myself. Yeah, like, I was say definitely a challenge for you. Amanda, you are gonna put you are gonna stay in one spot geographically for most of this book, and <laughs> we're gonna see how it goes. Um, but like it's a very it's a much more intense like, it's a very intense book. Um, it's very emotional. It's a lot more internally driven. Um, than my previous book um because I always try and get that balance right but in this book I'm challenging myself to just see how long I can keep them in this chalet and actually have the plot moving forward yeah (laughs) I don't want to give too much away about the plot because it's not set in stone but it's kind of a it's it's a his best friend's widow he's Henry Golding basically as a Formula One driver um (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) it's basically a baby making deal Okay. 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 I'm very intrigued. Very excited. <laughs> if it goes well, I'm, ne- I'm nearly done with it. Um, it's it's been. I've had this idea for a couple of years, so it's. I, I've put a lot of pressure on myself to get it right because in my head it's like this, almost like a fever dream of a book mm. for months, and then boom, they're back in reality because they're not snowbound anymore. So that's how I wanted to go. So we'll see. 
I love that brave, like bravery was the answer to that. That sounds very on brand. And I, I love that answer. I love that. So now, okay, one that I didn't, another one that I didn't send you. So as romance continues to grow and evolve and, you know, category is still doing its thing, how does our presents hero continue to evolve with the time? Um, well, I think my presents heroes tend to be a balance between that classic alpha and the classic, you know, in command of his world and very wealthy. Um, but my presents heroes tend to be very, I, th- I think my presents heroes are a bit more emotionally aware than the classic presents hero. Like I think historically the presents hero, like we used to not even get a POV for the hero. You know, a lot of the stories were single POV. You were only behind the heroine's eyes. You know, you were only seeing what she's seen. Um, And he was quite an enigma. You know, he was very Mm -hmm. mysterious and that was the real brand. You know, that was the, like, I think that was a lot of the pull with the the Fifty Shades of Grey books as well, because he was such an enigma in those books. Um, And it was all kind of, I think a single POV book is that very old school vibe to me. But I think now where we're at, you know, especially kind of culturally or so socially where we're at, you know, with billionaires being what they are now and with kind of the world being what it is, I tend to be very conscious of almost trying to create the kind of wealthy men, wealthy heroes that I wish existed more in the world. And I like me personally, I'm very kind of ethically conscious. I'm very environmentally conscious. And I I have a lot of beliefs myself. Um, and while I try not to like bash readers over the head with those beliefs, I still try and create a world with characters acting the way I wish they would. Because to me, like that is romance. Having a yeah. hero who is just, you know, he can do anything he wants, but he chooses to do the right thing every time. And he chooses to be the best version of himself. That's that's romance to me. That's what I want to read. I don't want to read about like I love a morally grey hero. I absolutely do. And I can't write them for some reason. <laughs> I've tried to write them Brie, so many times. I've tried to write a real bad boy hero and they always just end up, I don't know, figuring themselves out a little bit. Like if I ever manage to do it, it will be an absolute triumph. Talk but, about a challenge for real. <laughs> it's like can't I just can't write it because I love reading it like I don't know it's like historicals I love reading historicals but I don't think I could ever write one um like I would ruin it for myself um but yeah I I can't write people who are doing like deliberately evil thoughtless things and I think um while I like certain plot lines where you know the hero is classically cruel in a presency kind of way I always have to under I always have to make him be more motivated or I don't know like I I have to soften it some way my heroes are just not um they're not like alpha holes and they never will be yeah (laughs) so that's going to be other people's wheelhouse it's not mine (laughs) 100% it's not mine I can't write them I have tried (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) well tell us about a ring to claim her crown released in July I just sent in the final edits on it last week. <laughs> yeah, so that's coming out um in July and it's um my second chance royal romance. Um I actually I so I, yeah, I read through it last week. I sent off the final edits and it actually made me emotional 
reading it and that doesn't happen to me a lot like I'm not I don't really cry when I read books very often and especially not my own because usually I'm too busy criticizing it and going oh my god it's terrible yeah (laughs) you write the whole thing but the prologue in this book because it's a second chance romance um it begins with them at 19 and then it pushes forward the prologue is, is them at 19 and then something happens and it pushes forward 14 years so it's a really big jump to chapter one um and I formulate it that way on purpose because it's um it's inspired by do you know the swan princess animated movie yes yes so I had this idea a few years ago um I had this idea where in where the swan prince is the one who like it's the awkward swan prince and he breaks their engagement and he disappears and the heroine is um, an Olympic archery champion, champion who is about to become queen. Um, and I just had this, this prologue came to me where they fell in love. They were pushed together in a, like a royal arranged marriage. And she knows about it. She knows that it's arranged, but he doesn't. And so he falls for her and she falls for him. But this kind of miscommunication piece, and it's just really emotional, the kind of conflicts that the both of them have separately. And I just wanted to show where like a couple meets at the wrong time and they, they fall for each other at the wrong time. And then when they come back together, they they can work it out. And I just, it, it really like, her, the heroine is Minerva and she has, so when you meet her 14 years later, she's about to become queen. She has one week to select a fiance. Oh my gosh. So her mom, the queen, invites some eligible bachelors to the palace as as one does. Um, and... The hero basically has spent 14 years at sea brooding. He's a gorgeous ginger bearded pirate. Oh my (laughs) gosh. (laughs) Like he's gone from being this gangly, awkward 19 year old to this massive sailor, basically. Yes, yes. We need it. We need it. I need to see the cover of this book. (laughs) Like my husband is like six foot four, uh, very long ginger beard, has some tattoos. So there was a little inspiration. Inspiration right there, right. He was very flattered. He was very flattered. Um, and I love a ginger hero. I, I, I absolutely do. Um, so, and I don't think there's enough ginger heroes on the no, cover yeah. of yeah. novel. So I was very, again, I, I harassed the art department. And I really hope they give me my ginger hero. Um, but he, he arrives, he, he gets invited under his new pseudonym to this kind of bachelor selection because they don't know who he is because he has a new name and a new look. <laughs> And he's like invited in, in the, the fox amongst the, the hen house. And uh, she sees him and she's like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and it all just kicks off from there. And it's actually probably, there's some real comedic moments in this book. Like it really was just, I think because I, I'd been so anxious about getting the trilogy right, I kind of just let myself loose with this one a little bit as like a palate cleanser. Um, and... Yeah, I'm really happy with how it turned out. So oh, that sounds fantastic. I can't wait. Which is such a classic historical romance name, and I love it. I can't mm-hmm. wait. Okay, July. I mean, just July just needs to get here so we can get it. And I'm hoping. I know the art department is going to totally just knock it out of the park with our ginger pirate hero. So <laughs> with his big ginger beard. Yes. <laughs> Lastly, where can everyone keep up with you online? Um, I mostly I'm on Instagram and TikTok procrastinating all the time. So like I'm never Your TikTok is fabulous. Everybody you should be following Amanda on TikTok. <laughs> oh, 
like I make TikToks and reels and I try to be funny, but then I get tired and I disappear for a while. Yes. Same, same. <laughs> Um, I also I started up a newsletter um, and it's linked in all my bios so I plan to try and do more giveaways and be charming you know once a month or once every couple of months this year we'll see it's a work in progress like myself <laughs> mm.